morning, everyone. Good to see you. So, there we go. Super. <clears throat> Wanted to share with you, um, as has been typical the few times that uh, I get asked to come up uh, and be here in the pulpit, um, there's things that have been on my mind. And so I wanted to share with you a little bit about uh, that this morning. Um, the sermon title is Outside Ourselves. And this is something that uh, I have been uh, thinking about uh, the last couple of years. It's just how important it is that uh, we be less self-absorbed uh, and uh, really um, uh, focus our attention on on others. And uh, I guess the, the way I was going to approach this today, if this goes, yes, no. I guess the distance isn't working today. All right, so if we could advance it one, please. Try it again. Ah, there we go. All right. <clears throat> so what I wanted to talk about today uh, sort of comes from three different things that have been on my mind of recent. And um, um, I think they go together. So we'll see if I can make it clear why I think they go together. Okay. So three streams of thought. Um, a couple minutes ago, Al mentioned that uh, in uh, the Sunday morning small, adult small group, we've been uh, studying C.S. Lewis, uh, the screw tape letters, uh, this fall so far. Uh, chapter 15 is where we are now, so we're roughly halfway through. Uh, I will make a plug uh, while I'm, uh, I'm here, is that uh, you know, folks who haven't joined us or haven't been able to join us frequently might be thinking, well, it's too late for me to get involved, and the answer to that is no. Um, so uh, join us. We've got spare books. Uh, you can join right in. The chapters uh, are self-contained in, in essence uh, and uh, bring up some topics to that each week that we talk about. And uh, so join right in. But again, most recently, a couple of chapters. Um, we were in chapter 14 uh, before the holidays. Chapter 15 we actually did today. And let me see if I can talk a little bit and paraphrase at least uh, for these two points of through screw tape letters of uh, 40 wall. Um, chapter 14, the primary uh, subject of discussion is humility. And again, if you uh, know the format of uh, screw tape letters, it's basically written from a, uh, uh, as we were talking this morning, sort of the reverse of everything that we should be seeing. Um, it's basically the story of two demons. There is screw tape who is the elder demon, and there is Wormwood, who is uh, sort of the junior one, and he's receiving advice in each of these letters from Screwtape to his subordinate, Wormwood. Okay? Now, C.S. Lewis is writing this, and he's, what he's doing is he's bringing us out uh, truths about how uh, sometimes things go with, with us believers and, uh, and, and, and uh, humans, and, of course, he's taking the, the perspective of the, the demonic side of things. They are opposed to the enemy, which is God the Father, 
okay? And they're, they're, they're uh, representing the lower archy of hell as it's described in the book. Uh, and, of course, they are serving Satan, uh, their father, as, as they would look at it. So in this chapter uh, uh, 14, the subject is humility. And very short and sweet, um, as we talked about it uh, uh, just again before Christmas, uh, the, the conclusion that we were uh, getting from that particular chapel, chapter is humility is not what we would often see as false modesty. Oh, there's nothing really good about me, and, and no, you can't praise me for this. That's not it. Um, it's not, uh, certainly not pride, okay, because that's the other side of it. But there, uh, that true humility comes from properly seeing us in relation to God the Father. Okay? We are his creation. Okay? So that, that's, a, that's a, a fundamental thing we have to understand uh, is that uh, we are his creation. He's created us for a reason. And only do we understand ourselves and our worth in relation to him. Okay? That's humility. Okay? Not something we gin up, but it's, it's looking at the realities of things here. Um, and, and this is important, okay? Because, again, God created each one of us with a reason and a purpose for each one of us in his creation. Now, again, grasp that. In the magnitude of the universe and in the magnitude of the numbers of, of, of humankind that exist now and will exist in the future, you are unique. That's important. We'll come back to this, okay? Again, some, this does all weave together, believe it or not. Second of the screw tape talk, topics was one that we just talked about uh, this morning. And screw tape is writing, again, to his subordinate, Wormwood, and he's concerned uh, that Wormwood thinks that, you know, with the lull in World War II, uh, which is the, the time in which the book was written, and C.S. Lewis uh, presented these, these, these as, a, as talks on the radio in 1942, that uh, Wormwood's got the wrong perspective, that there's a, a little bit of a lull in the world, and therefore that's good, okay, as far as they're concerned with their patient. Their patient, by the way, as they describe him, he's a relatively new believer, okay? But he's their patient. He's their one they're, they're focusing on, and they are trying to derail him uh, in his walk of faith. And the way the chapter goes is that Screwtape, again, is trying to tell Wormwood, here's a strategy you might want to use. And the strategy is this. Either get him to think and dwell upon the past, or get him to dwell on the future, but by all means, don't let him think about today. All right? And there's a, there's a, a fair number of points in here that come up that C.S. Lewis brings to our attention. Really, again, he's using this methodology to point out where we go wrong. We can look at our past and the things that have gone on in the past of our lives, and we can spend too much time thinking about them. Mistakes we've made, opportunities we think we've missed, or whatever, and, and, and we can get morose about them, and, and the trouble is it's wasted effort, right? <laughs> you can't change what's gone on before. 
But as far as screw tape and wormwood, they'd love to see us dwell on that. Because that takes us off what God wants us to be thinking about this day. On the other hand, we can also think about the future. And we in our minds can create, as we talked about in class, all kinds of things that could happen. And that we get anxious about them. Tomorrow this could happen, or this could happen, and it could happen to this person or that person, or it could happen to me, or this could go wrong, and this could go wrong, and this could go wrong. I could be sick, I could, you know, whatever. But there is an absolute uh, uh, variety, right, that can consume us about our future. So the chapter talks about, instead, as, as Screwtape says, we want to follow these two strategies, think about the past and the future, and not have him think about today. And then this, this, is, uh, this, this is what uh, Screwtape says. He, therefore, would have them continually concerned either with eternity. Now, he, in this case, is God the Father. Okay? Again, as far as Screwtape's concerned, their enemy. He would, therefore, have them continually concerned either with eternity but with this in mind, which means being concerned with him. Not what's going to happen to me, but what I need to think about uh, is sort of in, ter in terms of eternity is, is God himself. Or he wants us to be concerned with the present, either meditating on their eternal union or separation from himself. In other words, that's a key concern for all of us. Or else obeying the present voice of conscience bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for present pleasure. So what C.S. Lewis is trying to say is, don't waste your time thinking about what's going on before. Don't think about all the myriad of things that could go wrong. And in most cases, that's the way we look about our future, right? We're worried about things going wrong. He says, we need to pay attention to today. This is what we need to pay attention. Uh, consume ourselves with. Today, what is it God wants me to do? Why am I here? Again, back to that first point, we're created for a reason, each one of us. We are unique. We can only do, uh, nobody else can do what we can do. We, there's a role God has for each of us. And, 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 and the way I want to just reinforce that point, just one more thing about that, is that there are two parables that Jesus uh, teaches uh, that reinforce that idea. Remember, there, uh, there is the, uh, there's the parable, I think it's in Matthew 15, and then again in Luke 13, perhaps, um, where he talks about the parable of the lost sheep. He talks of a shepherd who has 100 sheep, right? And 99 are with him, and one is lost. And what does the shepherd do? Say, ah, oh, well, I got 99, that's good enough. He goes off, and he finds the one. Why? Because that one is unique. There's a reason for that one to be in part of his flock. And then also there's the parable of, uh, uh, of uh, the prodigal son, right? And the father, he's every day looking for that son who's left, right? Who's departed. And he's looking for the time when he returns. And when he returns, there's great celebration. Why? Because he's his son. So if that's true, and God has a reason for us to be here in this day and in this place, then we need to pay attention to that. I think that's what C.S. Lewis is telling us about. 
Now, the last stream of thought, so to speak, here is from Valley of Vision. I've mentioned this before. I know Steve's mentioned this before. We've used Valley of Vision in elders' meetings and board meetings and all the rest. It is a book of Puritan prayers that an individual has compiled uh, and, uh, and uh, sort of looking across Puritan literature, he has put them together in a book called The Valley of Vision. Highly recommend this. And uh, as I've been using it in some of my quiet times and reading over the last year plus, certainly one of the things that strikes me about the Puritans is their concern about sin in their own life. They are concerned about sin. They, 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 they think of it much. Uh, and as a result, they give God the thanks for his salvation. All right? But it comes up repeatedly in these prayers. And repeatedly there are the prayers that say, God, please deal with the sin within me. Please make me holy. Please change me. All right? So that's a consistent theme. The other one is this concern about a daily commitment to God's work. Okay? And this comes out in a fair number of the... Um, of the prayers. So I'm going to, I've actually picked out three here. Uh, they are in the section of the uh, book uh, towards the, the end, starting I think with page 150. Uh, oops, am I wrong? 175, yes, you're right. Page 175 and then uh, thereafter. I've gone, actually just taken the three after that. So, um, so well, let's just read this. It's sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to thee with the greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. I adore thee that thou art God and long that others should know it, feel it, and rejoice in it. The cause is thine, and it is thy glory that men should be saved. Lord, use me as thy wilt. But, O oh, promote thy cause. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Let me see that glorious day, and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for thee to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably for this work, both in health and in weakness. The Puritan writer here says, God, I know what you want to do. You want to call all to yourself, and I need to be part of that. I will commit myself to that. I will give of myself for that. We have another one that follows. This one's titled Service and Equipment. Goes this way. Thy God, again, I'm just picking out portions of this that I thought were most relevant to our topic, uh, but the, the entire, every one of these prayers uh, that I'm mentioning here are focused on this thought. Service and equipment, meaning being equipped for the work. Thou God of my end, thou hast given me a fixed disposition to go forth and spend my life for thee. If it be thy will to let me proceed in it, if not, then revoke my intentions. All I want in my life is such circumstances as may best enable me to serve thee in the world. 
To this end, I leave all my concerns in thy hand. Enable me to take some, undertake some task for thee. For this refreshes and animates my soul so that I could endure all hardships and labors and willingly suffer for thy name. But oh, what a death it is to strive and labor, to always be in a hurry and yet do nothing. Alas, time flies and I am of little use. Oh, that I could be a flame of fire in thy service, always burning out in one continual blaze. Fit me for usefulness in this world. So as he's making this plea to God to use him, he realized he makes that contrast. And those words are interesting, right? Oh, what a death it is to strive and labor and always be in a hurry and yet do nothing. He's describing us an awful lot of our lives, right? He says, what a waste it is that we consume, get it consumed doing all kinds of things that are not useful to God. Time flies and I have little use. This Puritan writer is saying, boy, I need to be in that place where I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here in this world and not frittering uh, my time away, not being unprofitable to God. One more. This one's titled, Things Needful. And again, this is right at the start, but it's so, as, as proceed down through the course of the prayer, it says this. We know it is thy power alone that can recall wandering children can impress on them a sense of divine things, and can render that sense lasting and effectual. Make me an almoner to give thy bounties to the indigent, comfort to the mentally ill, restoration to the sin-diseased, hope to the sparing, despairing, joy to the sorrowing, love to the prodigals. An almoner is somebody who gives alms, uh, uh, alms rather, uh, who gives uh, uh, is works of charity and performs that. It's an old British term. So an almoner is somebody who is engaged giving alms. And he says, let me give thy bounties to the indigent, those who are poor, comfort to the mentally ill, restoration to the sin-diseased, hope to the sparing, joy to the sorrowing, love to the prodigals, those who are returning to God. Blow away the ashes of unbelief by thy spirit's breath and give me light and fire and warmth of love. Fill the garden of soul with the wind of love, that the sense of Christian life may be wafted to others, and then come and gather the fruits of thy glory, so that I fulfill the great end of my being to glorify thee and be a blessing to man. An interesting statement at the end. God, make, make me have a warmth of love that then gives me the impetus to care for those who need care. Let there be something about me that attracts others to you. And then gather that fruit, Heavenly Father. This is what I'm here for, is what this writer is saying. Okay, so I've shared with you my sort of streams of thought. Now, what does it mean? This time of year... We are now in the second Sunday of the year, and th this is the new year. It's the start of a new year, and usually what we do is we think about, and, and you know, uh, down through the ages, people have said, okay, now, you know, do I need to, uh, what am I going to do this year? It's a new year, okay, so is it, what, do I start the slate clean, and what it is that I want to do? And we make resolutions. I never did resolutions when I was young, because they didn't, they didn't work. You know, uh, but, but, you know, they were often things that were of my own concern and not God's concern. 
but it is something that is reasonable for us to do as we head into the new year. We also do it in the church. For us here at New Hope Chapel, uh, Al mentioned that we have an annual meeting coming up, right? We, we, we prepare for that annual meeting, right? We've got people who are elected to positions, uh, who are going to fulfill areas, uh, take charge of certain areas of ministry. Uh, we uh, sort of look at the finances. We sort of come up with a plan of how we're going to spend the money for the year. All of this is, is the way in which we address a new year. We do it as individuals. We do it as a church body. And I'm going to suggest to you that each one of us need to think about two things, two main areas of effort. Because it's not just the leadership of the church who are worried about these things, it's the role that each of us play in this body. There is a practical ministry that each of us has to this particular body. Now, if we, we've talked about the body before. Uh, I know Steve's preached about it before. I've mentioned it in a couple of sermons in the last couple of years. And we're talking about Paul's reference to the body of Christ, the body of believers, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right? He describes the body of believers, both uh, sort of the, the, the body of all believers, and then certainly the local expression of them, like New Hope Chapel. He describes each of us, as each, of each group, as a body. And he says the body needs all its constituent parts to work together. Now Al talks a little while ago about praying about some of us are getting old and things aren't working like they're supposed to. That's a problem, right? And that's a problem here in this church. Because if, if not everybody is, is, is a part of the body and realizing they're part of the body and acting like they're a part of the body, then the body as a whole suffers. Right? Think about it. Why do we have little toes? Why don't we just have four toes? A little toe. It's this little, little thing on the side of your front of your foot. Is it important? Well, I think so, because God created us in this way. I've heard it's because it helps us with balance. Huh? Is that possible? Right? But let's think about all the constituents of our body, and if they don't work, if our eyesight is failing, that's a problem for the body. Right? We begin to lose our balance. That's a problem for our body because it can lead to great hurt. We've seen that. And secondly, each of us are called to a commitment to the expansion of believers in this world. We call this the Great Commission. Right? This, is, this is Matthew 28. This is Jesus speaking before he departs the world. He's talking to the disciples and he says, okay, this is your task is to make disciples, right? To continue to expand the reach of the good news that may, others may come to believe in the work of Jesus and the redemption, uh, the redemption that comes through Jesus. And that is our task. He gives that to the, to the disciples and he says, this is what you need to now do. I'm leaving, but this is the work that you have. And again, this has been preached to us, Steve repeatedly, particularly over these last couple of years, has been reminding us about our task in this area. And we've been uh, uh, moving in the right directions, I believe, to continue to work on that. And I believe more of us are becoming concerned and saying, well, I don't know how I fit in that, but, but if this is the call, then surely there's a way that I fit into this call. Yes? No? There we go. 
So what does this mean? So I want to spend a couple minutes about talking about sort of the, the, the mechanics of these two things. If, if again, we're, uh, you know, we've got an opportunity to think about this and our life in, the, in, the, in this next year um, is, first of all, is, get, is get, a, get involved in the life of the church. And I see this in a lot of different ways. What I listed here are just a few. Uh, take your responsibility, take on responsibilities and see God grow you. I think that's the other thing. We always think that, that somehow this is all about um, of, uh, you know, us giving, but uh, not any benefit. No, I, that's the interesting thing about becoming involved in the life of the church and becoming involved in the life of other believers and, and, and seeing other people become believers is that you grow and change. God uses our participation to change us. Play your part in the body of Christ. You are indispensable to its proper working. Again, the body will be crippled unless you are, are doing what you're here for. Be a means of delivering God's grace to your brothers and sisters in the faith. So now the next point I wanted to talk about for a minute is uh, practice compassion, concern, care, and charity towards others. Now sometimes that's in the church, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a, it's a much broader activity, right? Um, it would be, uh, you know, involved in, uh, we've, we've been doing the, the uh, food drives for the local food banks recently, again, uh, it's other things like uh, coats and socks and mittens, uh, you know, to either the Bridge House or to other organizations. This last year, a couple years, I think we've been helping out with um, uh, supplies for foster kids being placed in foster situations. And uh, sort of they, they happen quickly and they don't have what they need to, when they move from the house they're in to the foster house, they don't have basics like, uh, you know, uh, shampoo or deodorant or, or, or uh, tooth, uh, toothbrush and toothpaste and just, uh, you know, things that'll help them get through the, that first few days. There's lots and lots of ways this takes place. Be the means to meet many needs. There are many of them. Some of them are going to be known to the church and some of them are going to be known because of the people that you know and the circumstances you're involved with. Okay, well, if you know about the need, you're, you, you are, are often the means to step in and meet that need. You certainly can pray about them. And in some cases, it means investing your time in others over a long haul, not just meeting a point need. It's developing a relationship. And I want to mention in this um, by taking us to... Um, Another book by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Um, I guess because of having been involved recently with Screwtape Letters, I said, oh, well, wait a sec. It's been a while since I've even opened this book at all. Um, actually, I think I've got this. Yes. 
Yes, there we go. I took out the most important uh, page, at least it was page 131 in this particular copy. The rule for us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you do. That's one of the rings we use as an excuse. Well, I don't know that person. They're, they're nothing to me. Well, act as if they do mean something to you. Start taking the action, whatever, that charitable action or, or thing that you can do to help that person step into it, what C.S. Lewis advises us. As soon as we do this, we find that one of the great secrets, when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him or her or them, whatever. Whenever we do good to another self, just because it is a self made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desire ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least to dislike it a little less. He's, 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 he knows our failings, I guess is the point, C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis, in that chapter on charity in the book called Mere Christianity, is encouraging us. He says this is part of life as a Christian. We need to get involved in the lives of others. We may not know them, we may uh, never know them well, but our job is still to step into that gap and do what we can. My last page was then dealing specifically after talking about being part of the body and taking up the task of, of ministering to the body, then a, a greater sort of expansion of that, meeting the care, through care and concern, meeting the needs of others. The third area is this fulfillment of the Great Commission. The command is for us all. We often will say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a teacher. But each one of us has a story about how God called us to him, right? We call that a testimony in the church, right? You, if nothing else, can share what's happened to you. That's extremely valuable. Nobody can say, that's not real. Yes, it is real. This is my story. This is what I was before, and this is what God has done with me afterwards, bringing me to faith, and I, you can share that. There are no exemptions. There are no passes from this, faith, this great commission. We don't get a buy. We are God's hands in this needy world. That's why we're here. Now, I had a list of what I called additional particulars. Sort of, I don't want to call it necessarily application, but after kind of talking about it in the higher level, I just wanted to talk about it in terms of some things that get in our way. The first on my list is don't be not me. Anybody know where not me comes from? Come on. There we go. 
And you remember Family Circle? Comic that uh, Bill Keen uh, was the author of in uh, Sunday papers for years and years and years. And uh, it was uh, always, uh, you know, about the family, okay? Uh, and, and uh, you know, a brood of kids, mom and dad and grandparents and all the rest were frequent characters in here. And there was a character. Actually, in this case, there are actually three. I forgot about the other two, okay? But there was a character called Not Me. And we look at the cartoon on the left, all right? And there's the mom. She's got a broken plate in her hand. And what's she say? She says, I think I know the answer, but I'll ask any, uh, anyway, which of you broke my good plate? And you notice in the middle, all the kids are there silent, right? But then there's a couple of other characters. The character on the left, I don't know. All right? Then there's the characters on the right, not me. And the other one, nobody. Right? So the very interesting way of presenting, okay, the, the typical things that happen in a family when something happens. Who got mud on the rug? Not me. Who left the water on in the bathtub? Not me. Who wants to help with the dishes? Not me. As they run outside. That's what, that's what, this came to my mind, right, is sometimes we say, not me. We see the need in the church, and I really don't want to do that, so it's not me. Go find somebody else. This is something to think about, guys, all of us. I forgot about, like I said, uh, I don't know, you know, and nobody, but, you know, that's, they're, they're there too. Uh, so, again, and you could, again, I just mentioned the last one here, uh, you know, the one on the right I included also, and it's not me himself. He's, he's the key one in this one. And again, something else broken, and all the little kids are there, and not me heads out the window. Oops. Second point I want to talk about was paying attention to God's purposes. Like those three prayers I presented to you early on, these are three individuals writing sometime in the Puritan period, and uh, each one of them has, has said, I need to pay attention to God's plans. And really what it means is practicing putting him on the throne of your life. What is it that's important to him and therefore should be important to me and I need to be part of that? Not what happens to many of us. Me, I know for sure every day what I get concerned about is what I want to have happen that day or what I've got planned out that day. And oftentimes nothing is allowed to intrude upon that. Not God's desires. I don't often think about his desires. And what comes to my mind here is another, and this is a little small, I apologize for that, but I couldn't find a larger copy. That reminds me of a portion of uh, what, what a tract put out by Camp's Crusade that has been in use for many, many years called the Four Spiritual Laws. Okay? And the diagram down here on the bottom, uh, there's two circles. Okay? Uh, the circle on the left is a, it shows a throne in the middle of the circle, and it shows us on that throne. 
I'm in charge of my life. And the challenge with the spiritual laws is saying, okay, no, what you're really challenged with in the spiritual laws is God, uh, we need to be reconciled to him, number one, but then we need to put him in charge of our life. So the circle on the right has Jesus on the throne of the life, and all the, the little circles on the outside are the activities and things a part of our life, and they're all ordered in relation to Christ being on the throne of our life. That's what those three Puritan writers, writing their prayers, were thinking about. They were practicing putting God on the throne, putting his concerns, his purposes first. Sometimes when we think about being involved in the life of the church and taking up responsibilities in the church, etc., we often have excuses, and I sort of two that came to my mind. First is I'm not gifted in that area. We talk about spiritual gifts in, in, in the life of the church. We teach about it. We should teach about it. It's important for people to know their gifts. But what I'm telling you is sometimes there are needs that don't fall into the area of giftedness, which does not mean that you do not step into meeting that need. If the toilets downstairs need clean, the bathrooms need cleaned, I do not recall a spiritual gift related to that one. And yet Pastor Steve, in one of our recent uh, uh, church work days, took that on. No fanfare about it. Need that needed to be met to serve the body. And he did it. Now, I hope I don't embarrass him and, and you know... But Sorry, Steve, if I do, but, you know, this is what, an example that comes to my mind. Sometimes there's something we have to step into. Sometimes they are menial. Sometimes they are nothing special about them, but they need done. And people will say, well, I can't be, I, I can't be, I'm not gifted to be a leader. Well, okay, that's okay. You don't need a certificate or whatever else to be a leader. If, if the nominating committee comes to you and asks you to take on a position or to help somebody in a particular area of ministry, you don't have to say, well, is that my gift? Yes, we want you to exercise your gift in the life of the church, but it's more than that sometimes. The other one is, well, there's faults about this particular church, so I don't really want to jump all in and... and and, uh, you know, I'm sort of going to still, sort of, sort of still be on the fringes. These are just two excuses. I know we can think of lots others. Fourth point was to take up what needs doing in the church. Join with others. Sometimes you're going to say, yeah, I'll do that, and not know what you're going to do or how to do it. Well, you, you, you ask. You talk it over with other people. Try to figure out the need. Talk to, the, to Pastor Steve. Talk to the elders. Talk to the, uh, the chairman of the board. Talk to the other uh, members of the board and, and figure out what it is and then go ahead. Nobody's asking to be perfect. Number five. This will be truth. God's work and will will be hard. Will be inconvenient. Will be frustrating and take much of your time. This is true. But sometimes we look at those points 
and say, well, therefore, I don't want to do it. Yeah? Lots of things you do in your life day by day, I suspect, you don't want to do, but you have to do them. Right? I don't want to do the laundry. I don't want to wash the dishes. I don't want to... whatever. But, number six is true. God will demonstrate his mercy and grace to you as he works out his purposes and plan, and you have stepped into something, he will work it out. And he will grow you, which was one of my points earlier. Romans 8.31, I believe, is the verse, right? God will accomplish things. It's his job. We're his hands. We're his tool in this world. And he will give you mercy that when you sacrifice time that you think you didn't have, he'll help you through that. Circumstances amazingly, amazingly, by coincidence we'd say, right? When we look at it in just human terms, things will work out when we think it's not possible. Sometimes you'll give, and you'll say, I don't really have anything to give, or I can't afford it. You know what? It works out. I've, we've seen that repeatedly in the life of this church. We've seen it repeatedly in our lives, Cheryl and I. And lastly, there is great danger when we disconnect from God's purpose from us. I said, we need to understand ourselves in relation to who he is. He's God Almighty. He's created each one of us. We're here for a reason. And when we don't pay attention to that, there's a problem. And I will just share with you one writer. I came across an article during the course of this week. Um, and he writes this. There is a truth that truth must be pursued. The only substitute for truth is falsehood. Human beings have sussed out eternal truths over the course of millennia, and to discard those truths in favor of subjectivism is crippling. Those eternal truths are rooted in the belief that God made us in his image, that he granted us roles and responsibilities, and that true freedom lies in making choices within the boundaries of those roles and responsibilities. We like to think as humans we can do whatever we want. And when we do that, it leads to trouble in many, many instances. Within the, however, the scope of his roles and responsibilities that he has planned for you, we can make our choice. I can pick the things that I'm involved in. God allows us to do that. He doesn't dictate it. We have free will to get involved. What happens when we discard those truths that he just listed there in that yellow, first yellow portion? What happens? Disaster strikes. First, we lose belief in something higher then we lose belief in ourselves. What are you saying here? And this is what's going on in our culture today. People, many people in this world, don't know why they're here. They are lost as a result in their day-to-day -day life. We are seeing the consequences of this two-step process before us in real time. In a recent interview with the Wall Street Journal, social psychologist Jonathan Haidt spelled out what happens when we turn our gaze inward rather than outward. Generation Z, he said, has been sucked into a vortex of narcissism, jealousy, and isolation. Mental health cases are up. Mental health hospitals are full. Counselors cannot meet all the needs. Suicide rates are up. Many in the younger generations, after COVID in particular, are, are isolated. 
and they're fearful. They're full of anxiety. They're lost. They have no moorings. This is just one example of my point number seven. So as I close, tried to weave together where I was starting point at the beginning, okay, about first remembering who we are in, in, in God's plan, having a right view of ourselves. Yes, we're created, but we are created for a purpose. Our purpose is to pay attention today, this day, and, and as... C.S. Lewis sort of gives, the only thing you need to worry about tomorrow is if you need to be planning something today where you're going to fulfill his purposes tomorrow. Okay? Practice being in God's plan today, and whatever comes up, do it. And begin to practice as the Puritan writers that I shared with you early on. Each and every day, praying those prayers. If you don't think you can do it by yourself, I'd strongly recommend getting a copy of the Valley of Vision and start reading those prayers yourself. It's really neat because there are some prayers for nighttime reflection and recommitment. There are prayers for the morning when you wake up to say, God, okay, now I'm ready. Let's go. What do I need to do? Sometimes a written prayer helps us get our minds, so to speak, in order. So I'd highly recommend practicing that. Use the, 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 those particular prayers if you think they are useful. You have a purpose. We need to see that play out, and I really encourage you to think about this year. What is it you're going to do? What is it you're going to be involved with? Then take the steps. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace to us. It is beyond all measure. We cannot understand it. We can not even wrap our, 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 our heads around it. You are Lord God Almighty. And yet we are your creation. You loved us. Knowing that eventually you had to solve the problem to reconcile us to you. You sent your son into this world to die on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that your love is displayed. It is manifest. And it is everlasting. Lord, we pray that you would teach us here, New Hope Chapel, and all of us that are part of it and involved in any way here. Uh, pray, Lord, that we would be your hands. Lord, I pray that we would be cognizant, ever aware that that's our focus. Lord, I pray that you would lead us. You'd lead the leadership, Steve, the elders, the board, and then all the rest of us. Help us see where we can be part of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.